Welcome back to another edition of Down to the Wire, where I bring on my podcast and NHL analyst, Nolan Thode, and we just recap uh, the weekly headlines throughout the NHL. And let's uh, start with the Pierre-Luc Dubois trade. Uh, Columbus and Winnipeg have agreed to trade. Uh, so Columbus trades Pierre-Luc Dubois and a, and a third-round pick for, in 2022, I should mention, mention for Patrick Laine and Jack Roslovic. The first issue with this trade that I should mention is that, you know, we have to go through the whole quarantine thing because of the whole coronavirus. And, um, you know, I think that we'll see in the coming weeks how this trade will affect uh, both teams, you know, whether it's not having them in the lineup right away or um, whether it's, uh, you know, when we see them in the lineup. So I'd like to get your take on it, Nolan, before we continue. I mean, I think it's a super interesting trade. Um, it's not often where you see two young players really get swapped. I know there's Roslovic and the third round pick as well in this trade, but it pretty much is line A for Dubois when you uh, get down to it. Um, I, I think I really like this trade for Winnipeg. You know, some people are saying they're giving up a lot, you know, giving up line A and giving up uh, Roslovic. Those are two, you know, Roslovic was a first round pick himself and uh, Dubois, you know, went, you know, only one pick behind line A, but... Line A was, you know, labeled as this generational goal scorer, whereas Pierre-Luc Dubois is just more like a solid, steady centerman. Um, but like I was saying, I really like this trade for Winnipeg. Uh, last year when I was doing the my predictions for the play-in rounds, I was looking at Winnipeg's roster, and, you know, they have a lot of talent in their top six in terms of forwards, you know, with Kyle Connor, Blake Wheeler, Ehlers, and Shifley. But what they really are lacking on that team, on offense at least, is a lot of center depth. Last year, you know, they had Shifley, who's a sound first-line center. But, you know, other than that, they had Cody Eakin last year in the playoffs. Obviously, they addressed it somewhat. They traded for Paul Stastny, which I like that fit as well. But, you know, having now uh, Mark Shifley and Pierre-Luc Dubois, if you can sign him uh, long-term after his bridge deal, I think that's just a great one-two punch down the line on center. Uh, and it's really going to be a tough competition for the opposing team. I think, you know, if Dubois continues his trajectory in terms of his, uh, in terms of his development, that can be one of the best one-two punches in the league. Not saying it's going to be up there with Dreisaitl and McDavid, but, um, you know, it's definitely going to be solid. As for Columbus, I think they're getting good pieces back, but I'm not sure how well they fit within their roster. Um, Roslovic, I actually am quite excited to see play because he's from Columbus. Um, and, and a big issue with, you know, Blue Jackets in their history is, you know, no one wants to play in Columbus. Um, but, you know, he's from that area, so he could, you know, bring some passion into the lineup and be a good piece for them. But, you know, I'm, I'm just, I'm really interested to see how the line A and Tortorella fit really works. Yes, because Columbus is a team that's built on de defense. You know, that's what Tortorella really stresses most. And that's why people, you know, criticize uh, line A law is because, and you know, the advanced analytics show for you nerds out there, um, you know, is that uh, he's not good defensively. And, you know, it's it's pretty evident as well when you just watch him, um, mm -hmm. you know, and it, it is going to be interesting to see what uh, that fit will be like for Torts and Line A, whether they will mesh together or not. And could we see Line A potentially move again? That would be insane. I think, I think absolutely. Uh, I believe Line A is not going to spend the rest of his year in uh, yes, rest of his career in Columbus. Whether that be leaving in free agency or getting traded once again, I think really, you know, in terms of team fit, 
Line A doesn't really do much for this current Blue Jackets team. As you said, you know, he's not really great defensively. Um, the analytics, the advanced stats, they'll show you that. Um, he's a great goal scorer, but, you know, Columbus doesn't really, ha- uh, really have that, you know, sort of they, they try to win games 2-1 rather than, you know, score a bunch of goals. So I think really what they they were going for in this trade is to bring in a big-name talent like Patrick Laine who probably has a little bit more trade value than Pierre-Luc Dubois, especially, you know, with Pierre-Luc Dubois, you know, sort of forcing his way out of Columbus. I I agree as well. And, you know, this trade wasn't, you know, just happening out of the blue. Uh, You know, as I was reading the analysis on this, this trade was stemming from the draft uh, in Kevin Dayoff's words. And it's, you know, good to see that they finally uh, managed to get this deal done. Obviously, as a GM, you want to, get a disgruntled player out as soon as possible because it's a stressor and you kind of don't want to deal with it throughout this crazy season as well with it being a sprint. Uh, And I just find it weird how this whole trade includes three players that are disgruntled. There's not one player that was happy with their current team. Mm -hmm. No, exactly. And I think a fresh start is all that these players need. I think, you know, maybe not so much for Roslovic, just because he's a little bit on the lower end in terms of talent compared to Line and Dubois, not to say that he's not a good uh, player. But, you know, I think that's really what Dubois and Line needed is somewhat of a change of scenery, just the way things were going in their current situations. They weren't they weren't really doing too much. But I am surprised with Dubois because last year against Toronto, he looked so great in the play in, you know. Uh, so I am surprised, you know, it, it seemed like it was pretty quiet, um, through the off season. We didn't hear about it too much, but as soon as the season started, you know, we, we, we heard all these reports of, of how unhappy Dubois was with his, uh, with his team. Well, another team that's pretty unhappy is the Washington Capitals and their whole COVID situation. Uh, you know, there are four Russians, uh, Kuznetsov, Ovi, Dmitry Orlov and Ilya Samsonov, who are out for four games. It's been around two games now, I'm pretty sure. So they'll be out for the next two. Um, mm-hmm. But I think Washington has played phenomenal considering the lineup they have. You know, they're without one of their best defensemen and two of their top six forwards. Uh, and Ilya Samsonov, who's, you know, the starter over Vitek Vanacek, um, or Vanacek, my bad. Uh, anyway, I think that, you know, Washington has played really well considering the roster they are uh, given. Mm-hmm. And Ovi, you know, he's he's missed a game every season because he's sitting out of the All-Star game. But for the most part, the Capitals are used to having Ovechkin in the lineup. So, you know, for P- uh, LaViolette, he comes into Washington. Within his first two weeks of coaching, he has to completely change up his, uh, you know, game plan. And I think it really does prove the depth of this Washington roster. Uh, and it proves, you know, why they won the Cup in 2018. It's, it's a really well-sound, well-built roster. And I think they're doing well in the absence, but they'll, they'll be happy to have those four players who, you know, by no means are non-contributors. I think all of those players, you know, Ovechkin, Kuznetsov, those are both some of their top forwards. You know, they're starting goalie and Samsonov and Orlov is a top four defenseman for them. So missing a lot of big pieces and to see that they haven't really, you know, gone down too much is, is, is really, you know, a credit to Pierre, uh, Laviolette and what he's been doing with that Capitals team. I think that four games is actually the right amount. Uh, You know, it sends the message across. And I think if there were, you know, too few, you might get more complaints. And if there were too many, you might get just as many complaints. And so I think four is a good middle even number to uh, hand out. Yeah, I think the suspension amount was decent. I'm not too sure if it had anything to do with like uh, specific protocols or quarantining or anything. 
Uh, and as NHL fans, you know, we were prepared for things like this to happen in the season in terms of, you know, protocols being broken and such. But it's so early in the season, and especially with a guy like Ovechkin, you know, he's he's a Russian, so, you know, maybe a little bit unpredictable in the North American sort of style. But, you know, he, he's the captain of that team, so you're, you're definitely surprised to see that protocols broken that early. Another team that got, you know, completely schlacked by COVID was the Carolina Hurricanes, and that caused a huge schedule change. Uh, seven games in total had to be rescheduled. Um, you know, I'm pretty sure there are around five or six teams that got their schedule impacted. And like you mentioned, uh, you know, being a, a hockey fan, as hockey fans, we had to be prepared for this, uh, given the fact that, you know, they weren't going to be going into a hard bubble. Um, and, you know, I think that, uh, you know, we just had to be uh, expected this. Mm -hmm. I think I think it's frustrating as hockey fans, especially uh, to see these sort of things happening um, because, you know, we've, we take pride in the sport that we like and you see the NFL season, you know, they're, they're about to reach the Super Bowl. They're about to have a full season, no cancellations, but, you know, they had a rough patch where games were being, you know, suspended or and moved and, uh, and things like that. And NBA had an outbreak recently um, and it's still sort of going on. Games are being postponed left and right. And I thought as a hockey fan, you know, that the players in our league were going to be responsible enough to follow these protocols and we weren't going to have as many issues um, because I, I remember saying to my buddy to bring back the Winnipeg Jets, you know, Mark Shifley, I feel like Mark Shifley, there's no way that that guy is going to break the rules. He's going to go home and he's going to do everything he can to play hockey the next day. Um, so it is frustrating to see these teams, you know, uh, so early in the season too, uh, being irresponsible and, you know, not only impacting their own schedule, but uh, the schedules of other teams as well. Something to note uh, is that so far two American teams have been, uh, you know, completely uh, destroyed by COVID and yet there's no Canadian teams. And as we know, you know, the Canadian teams are just playing against each other. You know, that's something to pay attention to because that's just how, bad this virus has gone between the states and the Canadians. Yeah, no, I think I think it really does show the difference between the the state of the pandemic in in both countries. You know, obviously Canada, you know, you and I we're we're we're, we're zoom calling for this. You know, we're not face to face. We're not going into school or anything. Uh so not to say that the pandemic is not much of an issue in Canada, but with the states I feel like, you know, it it's it just is such an issue. And, and I, I believe that, you know, the the teams in Canada are, are being responsible thus far and we haven't heard any, any peeps of anything happening. And I, I hope it continues. Speaking of this whole coronavirus pandemic, per Darren Drager, you know, he got information saying the Canadian teams asked the federal government to reduce the quarantine from 14 days to seven days and produce four negative tests, which I think is good. Uh, this is in relation to the Pierre-Luc Dubois trade and how that's cross-border. Uh, you know, however, I would have liked to see this issue get hashed out before the season. That way teams could have better prepared themselves for something to happen like a trade. Um, and I'm honestly surprised to see a cross-border trade. I didn't expect one to happen. Yeah, it happened so early. I think NHL fans, we we were looking to maybe the trade deadline as, you know, a potential day with all these issues. And we, we, we didn't expect all these uh, or any cross-border trades to happen so soon. And it really does have an impact. You know, they're going from one country to another. And 
the quarantine as of now, I believe nothing's happened. It's still 14 days and 14 days in a season like this, where you're playing almost every other night, even two nights in a row, 14 days is a lot. And I think, you know, the Oilers took advantage of that last night. They beat the Winnipeg Jets. Who knows if they beat them with Pierre-Luc Dubois in their lineup. I think, you know, the Jets and the Blue Jackets both are missing a key piece to their top six for 14 days and they're going to have to adjust. I should mention that I'm not too sure about the Columbus schedule, but I know for Winnipeg that Pierre-Luc Dubois is going to miss around up to seven games. So, you know, that's 14 points right there. And that's massive, man, considering, you know, this North division is a four-point swing every night. You know, I, I don't know about the Columbus schedule, but I know for Winnipeg that Pierre-Luc Dubois is going to miss up to seven games. And, you know, that's up to 14 points. And, you know, I just didn't know uh, just all these small little parts of the puzzle can impact the team on such a large scale yeah no exactly like I said you know missing these key contributors to your offense it, it, it really impacts your team um, and I feel like the 14-day period uh, you know they're traveling to a different country so 14 days you know is fair but I do think with what they propose to the government is fair as well you know seven days you know you're still quarantining you're still you know, preventing yourself from being exposed to the viruses. And then if you're getting four negative tests, I feel like your odds are pretty good. But it's such an unpredictable thing that, you know, adjustments are being made day by day. The Dallas Stars finally opened up their season against Nashville. They scored a touchdown and the extra point, 7-0, as Hudobin, Anton Hudobin posted a shutout against the Predators, like I mentioned. You know, do you think we could have expected this? I, I think we could have, uh, you know, since they had so much time off. I mean, yeah, they had time off and they had more time to prepare, you could say, but they also had, you know, so many issues with their team, you know, everyone getting into Dallas, you know, for the, you know, shortened training camp. Uh, but I think, you know, they, they did a good job with the, the, the hand that they were dealt. And I think, you know, maybe we're seeing a bit of, you know, they, they played all the way to the Stanley Cup final. So they have more, you know, experience in, in these games than other teams do. Um, you know, they're missing Tyler Sagan, who's a big piece of their offense. But, you know, I, I'm, 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 I'm quite shocked that they did put up seven in their first game. Um, it's just, it's, it's an incredible feat. And, you know, what I learned from Dallas last postseason, I always thought Dallas to be, you know, just a sound defensive team, wasn't going to score too much, but was going to find a way to win the game. But last year in the postseason, they had multiple games, you know, they had to go up against Colorado in a series. So, you know, the goals had to come. And I think, you know, Dallas for the first time, especially on the power play, is seeing a lot of success on offense. You mentioned the power play. Well, I'll run down a quick statistic here is that they scored five of their seven goals on the power play and one came shorthanded and one was even strength. So you could argue that Nashville did a good job defending them five on five. And, you know, it was just a really undisciplined uh, game by Nashville to give the Dallas Stars so many power play opportunities. Yeah, they had five in the game where they won seven nothing, and then you know they beat them three two the 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 other night. Three those three goals were all power play goals. So you know it begs the question: Is this Dallas power play? You know, are we expecting you know eight power play goals through two games? Is this going to be one of the top ones in the league, or is just Nashville's penalty kill something that they need to figure out? Jamie Ben, we saw that he got injured against that uh, season debut against Nashville. Uh, you know, it, it's interesting because, like you mentioned, the Stars are without Sagan. So maybe Ben will be out long term as well. Who knows? And th if he is, that will impact the Stars on a large scale. Yeah, no, I think he's a big piece of the offense as well. 
Um, but I think also you might be seeing this in the NHL more so. You know, in the NBA, you're used to seeing, you know, load management has really been an issue. Players haven't resting games. But, you know, Jamie Benn, he's he's more of a veteran player in the league. He, he's more, you know, prone to injury and playing all these games, playing back-to-backs. You could see maybe these, you know, veteran players, you know, taking a step back and sitting a game just because, you know, their body can't handle it. And, you know, even with the training camp, you know, Jamie Benn in the first game of the season gets roughed up a bit. So you hope you hope that these injuries don't have too much of an impact because, you know, in addition to COVID, there's just so much going on to a roster. You want to see them be as healthy as they can. One team that got out of the winless column was the Chicago Blackhawks as they beat the Detroit Red Wings 4-1 to one for, their w, for their first W of the season. You know, I find this funny because really, if we look at that central division with uh, Chicago being in there, I find that Detroit is really the only team that they can beat. Yeah, last week we talked about, you know, Chicago through, I think, their first three games of the season. They, they weren't looking very good whatsoever. Um, and they had a lot of defensive issues. Um, Malcolm Subban and Colin Delia both got their starts and didn't do too well in them. And now they have, uh, I'm, I'm not too sure his first name, but his last name, Lankinen. He's in net for the Chicago Blackhawks. And a note that I put down is, you know, is this their new starter? Is Lankin in the real deal? Or is it just the fact that they're playing the Red Wings? You know, I think if they're looking for any success, they're going to have to capitalize against the Red Wings, one of the weaker teams in this division. I think as, you know, because like you mentioned, Lankin and Colin Dealey and Malcolm Subban are your three goalies. Uh, you just got to ride the hot hand. And right now, Lankin pretty hot. So I think you just got to ride him until he burns out because, you know, Chicago won't be having much success this season. And, you know, I mentioned this last week, they're probably going to secure a top pick in this draft. Um, yeah, I think you just got to ride with the hot hand if you're uh, the team management picking the starting goalie. Yeah, I'm not too sure about Lankinen's age, but if he's young, you know, if he's able to get some good game experience this season, even if it's an un- unsuccessful one, you know, long-term, that could be something good for him. Um, Chicago's defense, you know, we, we were we were on them last week and saying how they were bad, and not to say that they were great or anything, but they did stop Bobby Ryan from scoring against them. And, it, you know, for, for hockey fans all around, I think, you know, Bobby Ryan's hot start to the season was just – you know, a nice thing to see after all he's been through. I was I was truly shocked, you know, when he was bought out by the Senators. I thought they were just going to ride out the rest of his contract. But, you know, he ends up in Detroit, and hopefully hopefully he can. I, I have also been liking the play of Kaylor Yamamoto, another great player that's had a good start. You know, some notes I have about him are, you know, he's fast, he's agile he's tenacious on the puck you know the shift never really ends for him he's just a bundle of energy and you know it never seems like he's striding around uh, on the ice he's always working in the corners winning those puck battles the kid really goes hard every shift and I you know I as well as Oilers fans must agree that you know they must be happy with uh, Keller Yamamoto's development so far yeah, he was drafted in 2017, and in that season, you know, he actually made the roster out of camp. Uh, a lot of fans were excited, um, but he eventually got, you know, sent back down to the WHL just because, you know, he, he maybe had the heart and and what we're seeing, you know, he, he plays this, you know, all-around game where he's just going 100% the whole, the whole game, and that's why he made the team. Uh, you know, he had a strong camp that year, but, you know, his game just wasn't fully matured. And then uh, his second season, he didn't play much either. 
but then last season, around midseason, he was called up and he was close to a point per game, given he was playing with Dreisaitl. But, you know, the two of them have showed, you know, a real good connection. And as an Oilers fan, you know, I couldn't be more happy. You know, McDavid and Dreisaitl, they were always playing with each other for the most part, five on five. But now the fact that, you know, Dreisaitl has, you know, Yamamoto, someone that he can have chemistry with on the second line, really spreads out our offense. And, you know, I, I'm super happy about the play of Kyler Mo- uh, Yamamoto so far. And I think Dave Tippett made a good decision to move up Jesse Puya Harvey up to the first line alongside of Nuge and, the, and McJesus. Uh, you know, it, not only does that give us a better idea of what uh, Puya Harvey's development is going to be, um, but, you know, I think it also gives, uh, you know, his uh, teammate, uh, Puya Harvey, a better chance to succeed. Yeah, you know, Puyarvi, him and Nugent Hop or not Nugent Hopkins, Yamamoto both, you know, they were our top prospects in 16, 17. Uh, these pieces to the offense that we thought were going to come in and contribute. Uh, but Puyarvi, he didn't have the greatest relationship with Todd McClellan, our former coach. And he 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 wound up playing bottom six minutes. And because of that, you know, he wanted to leave. He he went to Finland, had a good season, and then, you know, reports uh, in the spring this year, I believe. Uh, were saying that he wanted to come back and be a part of the Oilers organization. And I think a big part of that was because he believed he was good enough to play a top six role. And, you know, when the opportunity to play with McDavid is there, that's why he wanted to come back. Um, and what I loved from Puyarvi early this season was he was on the third line with uh, Kyle Turris. Um, so he wasn't getting those minutes early on with McDavid. But that didn't really stop him from, you know, trying to just play his best game. You know, when he was his first stint with the Oilers, he seemed, you know, unmotivated after he was moved away from McDavid. But, you know, in this situation, he worked hard and now has gotten himself in that top top line role. And, you know, him, Nugent Hopkins and McDavid looked great last night. And I hope for good things to come from them. Another team that we kind of, or I kind of ripped on uh, defensively, we mentioned the Blackhawks. I ripped on the Maple Leafs uh, defensively last week. And I just want to say that, you know, Toronto has played a much better defensively sound game. You know, they're cleaning up the D zone. And, you know, I feel like in recent games, they're playing more as a team, right? They're supporting each other in the D zone in the, as they're breaking out uh, rather than individually. I'm not sure if you've been seeing the same thing. No, yeah. I mean, the Oilers played the Leafs twice last week, so I was able to see it firsthand. But, you know, they they really looked a little more solid than I'm used to seeing the Leafs. And, you know, they had a tough, hard-fought game against the Jets that they won. It was 3-1 with an empty netter, but that's a close game. You're not used to seeing the Leafs win these 2-1 games, you know. It's either they're going to score a bunch of goals and win that way, or, you know, there's no way they can win. Uh, last night, they beat uh, Calgary 3-2. to So I think... Uh, it's big and shows a lot of maturity from this Leafs team to be able to win these close, hard-fought games without having to pile on the goals. And I think the whole team is, you know, buying into a second-year Sheldon Keefe system of maybe having defense on their mind first. Dylan Cousins made his NHL rookie debut uh, a couple of days ago. Uh, he's on the taxi squad right now, I'm pretty sure. Uh, with an absolute rocket of a shot, he was coasting down the right wing boards and he sniped it top blocker. I thought he went glove side first, but I had to watch a second replay of it. I thought it was an absolute rocket of a shot. And, you know, the work, the workhorse from Whitehorse, uh, coined by Bob McKenzie himself, I thought, uh, you know, it was a great shot and shows just uh, the potential of this kid. Yeah, you know, usually half of half of the first career NHL goals are really nice goals and half of them are you know just in front of the net 
they squeak it in and, and they get on the board. But Dylan Cousins, you know, coming in and scoring, you know, a goal like that to be your first goal really shows that, you know, he, he is worth that top top 10 pick that the Sabres spent on him a few years ago. And, you know, we, we've seen him in the World Juniors and he's looked great there. And we're hoping that it can translate well to the NHL level uh, for sure. I think I think Cousins, you know, for Sabres fans, uh, they got to be excited about the talent that they have there. I'm hoping that he keeps this momentum going. It's just unfortunate that, you know, he was sent down to the taxi squad the day after he scored his goal. So the timing is a bit weird about that announcement, but hopefully that doesn't ruin his confidence too much. Yeah, no, I think, you know, with him, there's, there's a lot of young pieces in that Buffalo organization that are trying to crack the, crack the lineup, you know, him and Middlestat both are sort of on the bubble uh, in terms of making the lineup or not. Uh, so, so it is, comp- it's more competitive than you would think a Buffalo Sabres roster would be to make um, just these young players. I think Ralph Kruger, their head coach, he has a little bit more confidence in some, you know, veteran, uh, veteran players. Uh, but, you know, if Cozens keeps scoring like that, uh, we can get really used to seeing him on the highlight reel. Another young team that we should be looking out for or watching is the Ottawa Senators. And they really showed their young strides, I think. Uh, you know, speaking on the Derek, you know, Derek Sapon's no young player, but he come in, came in as a veteran presence. But, you know, they couldn't have the woman trying to say like Derek Stepan, uh, you know, his penalty costed uh, the, their game against Winnipeg on Saturday. And, you know, I think this season will be really up and down for Sens fans because they are going through the growing pains of being a rebuilding team. And I think that's part of, you know, showing your young strides. No, yeah, and I agree completely. I think the Senators team, you know, early on in the season, you know, they beat the Leafs in their first game. A lot of people were excited of what this Senators team, you know, had to offer. But now, you know, that we're two weeks into the into the season, we're seeing, you know, this is still a very young Senators team, and they're going to have a lot to learn. Um, even though it was Derek Stepan, one of their veteran players, you know, they're going to have games like that where a stupid penalty costs them or, or whatnot. So, you know, I think just this year for them, especially, is having these young pieces in positions to succeed and just growing. I think, you know, playoffs might be a little unrealistic for them, especially in that, you know, highly contested North Division where only four teams are going to make it. Um, but I think the Senators, you know, they're exciting, but there is a lot of uh, room for growth for them. Like you mentioned, uh, you know, speaking on the North Division playoffs, the three teams that I have outside of making the playoffs. Uh, this week, I have Vancouver, Ottawa, and Edmonton outside of the playoffs. Uh, you know, but really anything can happen because this North Division is a four point swing, like I've been talking about. So, you know, what I say now is probably not going to be true a week later. That, that's just how crazy this division is. Yeah, I think, you know, if I'm a betting man, I, I wouldn't put any money on the Senators, you know, to make the playoffs just because I feel like, you know, even though they have solid pieces, I just think, you know, as a roster, as a whole, uh, they're too young. And I think they are a little bit worse than the other six teams in the division. But, you know, with only four teams making it, those two outside of the playoffs, other than the Senators, I think, you know, from first place to sixth place in this division, it could be it could be really tight. And, you know, with these teams, at any given night, who can win? Um, I, I, I don't agree so much on the Edmonton pick, you know, maybe a little bit of bias. But I, you know, I think they can turn things around and get into the playoffs. They're still sort of finding their stride. Um, you know, they had a disappointing qualifying round, but I hope they can get back to, you know, playing the hockey that they did last season. Um, but Vancouver, you know, they're outside of your playoffs. And I, I completely agree with that. You know, 
they had an exciting run last year, eventually losing to the Golden Knights, and people were excited for the future in Vancouver, but they have not looked, you know, to be that team so far. And I think that also attributes to Elias Pedersen's slow start. He only has two points through the team's first six games. I could be wrong about that. Um, but, you know, he hasn't been as electrifying as we're used to seeing. Uh, he hasn't been off to the same start that we're used to seeing. And, you know, he came in his rookie year. He won the Calder Memorial Trophy for best rookie of the year. And he just has been back up to that pace. He's in a contract year, I believe. Yeah, you know, and you hate to see it in a contract year. You know, if last season Pedersen had been uh, the RFA, you know, you could have seen him making near $10 million dollars. Uh, he was worth that money, but you know, the slow start, it's going to be interesting to see. I know he scored the other night against Montreal, which is, you know, sports fans just have to be happy that he got on the board, but you know, the slow start, it's going to be interesting to see how he rebounds from it because we're so used to seeing a hot start from Pedersen and not the, not, not what we've seen so far. Speaking on that series, that three game series against the Montreal Canadiens, Vancouver had too many turnovers, which Montreal capitalized. And really, if you've been watching Montreal throughout these six, seven games right now, Montreal is dominating teams 5v5, and you just can't make turnovers uh, against them on there. Uh, you know, however, Vancouver's power play was really lights out, I thought, during the series. Uh, if you can get a slot shot or a slot opportunity against the Canadians, you have a pretty good chance of burying that puck in the back of the net just because of how uh, you know open that opportunity is and you know I thought Vancouver did a really good job of exposing you know that side of the Montreal Canadiens penalty kill yeah um, the Oilers last season you know in terms of the power play they they needed to rely on that but you know now this season they're finding ways to score a five on five I think the Canucks you know, could be that this season. They could be relying on a, you know, either they're going to have a very good power play and be able to stay in these games, or they're going to have a very hard season, especially going against teams like the Montreal Canadiens who were dominating them, like you said, five on five. Uh, the Canucks are going to need these power play opportunities because that's where players like uh, Elias Pettersson, that's where players like Quinn Hughes shine, you know, on the man advantage. When there's a little more room out there, they can really go to work. But five on five, this Canucks team, you know, they're definitely in a little bit of a pickle. One player on the Canucks that I feel really bad for, as well as Elias Pettersson, is Thatcher Demko. He came into the bubble looking, you know, lights out, really. We thought he was going to be the next starter. I'm pretty sure there were rumors until the Canucks picked up Braden Holpe. But, you know, he was lightning, he was lightning in the bubble. It seemed like every team has a book on him now, though. And, you know, we really see it as he's just not the Thatcher Demko that we had really thought to. He's just getting adjusted to facing teams more often, I think. Yeah, no, Thatcher Demko in the playoffs last year was incredible. And I think, you know, he really put the hockey world on notice. Uh, you know, deeper fans of the league knew how much of, you know, a prospect he was for the Canucks. You know, he played very well at Boston College um, and he was an exciting, you know, young uh, rookie goaltender last season coming in and playing that backup role to Jacob Markstrom throughout the regular season. You know, he was solid. But like you said, it, it was in the bubble where he really began to shine. And, you know, these rookie goalies, um, outside of Carter Hart, uh, all of them, I feel like, take a bit of a step down in their second year just because, you know, teams have more of a page on them, you know. Yeah, with, yeah, yeah. With rookies, especially goaltenders, you know, rookie players, you're seeing them play night in, night out. But with a rookie goalie, they're only getting every, you know, fifth start. So there's not much, 
not much studying you can do on them. But Thatcher Demko, you know, now that he's, you know, been put out there more, he's being uh, exposed. And I think if that example isn't good enough, we can look to Jordan Binnington. He set the playoff record for wins, right, with 16. No one can ever beat it, or he tied it. I'm not sure. Anyway, uh, he was a rookie that year. No one knew No one knew where his weaknesses were. So, you know, now that people have gone to see him more often, we can say that, okay, maybe we should have our expectations a little lower than what we had them before. Yeah, you know, Bennington being my fantasy goalie, I don't want to talk down on him too much. But I think, you know, it really was an advantage for that Blues team. I think goaltending was always the issue for them. They, throughout the 2000s, the 2010s, they always had great rosters, but, you know, their goaltending was never good enough. And with Bennington coming in, he, he just played incredible and was able to give them, give them that Stanley Cup. Uh, and, you know, a little bit of regression, playing not as well as he did in his rookie season. But, you know, a little bit more down to level. I think he's still a solid starter. Um, and I, I really hope the same can happen for Thatcher Demko. I, I hope he can develop more into like a decent starting role, especially, you know, with the expansion draft for Seattle next season. Um, I'm not sure if he, he'll be able to be exposed, but they're going to have to protect one of their goalies. And it's going to be a question of whether they want to win now and stick with Holpe or, you know, save it for the future and hope that Demko can uh, be that starter. Also, the Canucks have Michael DiPietro in the system. So you got three potentially good goalies. One guy who's a Stanley Cup champion, uh, you know, one guy who was lights out in the bubble. And, you know, I guess DiPietro's, you know, pretty unproven. But like you mentioned, what will the Canucks do? Because they're going to have, you know, to answer some questions about their goaltending. Yeah, I think, you know, once we get deeper into the season, it's going to be interesting posing all these expansion draft questions. It's still early and raw, you know, you don't really know what team, what players uh, teams are going to protect, but it's going to be an interesting storyline going down. And uh, just to mention on Braden Holpe, I think 49 should not be worn by any goaltender in any sport. Um, Braden Holpe rocking the number 49 just doesn't look good to the eyes. Um, I just got used to watching 19 for Miko Koskinen as an Oilers fan. And this curveball of 49 is just not, not very pleasant for me. I, I would argue the same thing for Miko Koskinen. I would say the exact same thing. I think players nowadays are choosing ego numbers. You know, they're trying to create their own, uh, you know, number that fans will recognize it as, right? Like we all know 99 is attri attributed to Wayne Gretzky simply because that's retired by the whole league. But, uh, you know, 97, right? When you think of 97, you don't think of anyone else except, you know, Connor McDavid. Uh, okay, yeah, but <laughs> not no, in I'm that joking. sense. I'm wearing a uh, Connor McDavid t-shirt, uh, and he's on my team. You know, I agree with that fully. 97, you know, you got McDavid. Although, you know, Kaprizov might be making a run for uh, another 97 in this league. I don't think he'll be on the same level as he's McDavid. Not the same level as McDavid, but, but and that's another thing. I, I'm not sure if Kaprizov wore that number growing up, but, you know, 97 was never like a too popular of a number but you know you're gonna see these players coming into the league they grew up watching mcdavid i feel like 97 could become a more popular number i understand that but now we're gonna get we're what, someone's probably gonna wear the number 62 because they want to create their name a name for themselves and that's how they're gonna do it is by oh yeah okay i'm gonna wear number 62 because no one's ever worn it before i mean look at tj brody he's wearing number 78 who's who in the hell is gonna wear number 78 on a regular team yeah, no, I, I'm, 
I, I think numbers is definitely an interesting thing, but Braden Holpe's selection of 49, maybe I'll do a little more research and see what the meaning behind it is. But, you know, I, I got so used to seeing him wear number 70. It, it, it looked yeah. great on him. And I knew he was going to have to change his number because Tanner Pearson wears number 70 in Vancouver. But I was not expecting the change to number 49. I can tell you that. Let's talk about some rookies right here. Uh, the first name that we should mention is Ty Smith, who is off to a great start right now. He's on a six-game point streak uh, in the defenseman for the New Jersey Devils. He's playing third-line minutes, uh, and he's getting his power play time on PP2. So, you know, that's how he's getting his ice time there. And I think that, uh, you know, he's off to a great start, and he could probably make a good run for it at the Calder Memorial. Yeah, you know, with defensemen, there's not there's not as much of an expectation to score points, um, but he's doing that. He's I believe you said he's leading the rook, rookies in points, um, and as a defenseman, you know, it's 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 crazy. And if you if you were to end the season today, obviously it's early, but he'd be up there for Calder candidates. Um, he's playing third pair, as you said, um, so I feel like people and analysts are going to need to see more of a complete game for him. But definitely, you know, you couldn't have asked for much of a better start from Ty Smith. Another rookie that has really not adjusted well to the NHL yet is Alexi Lafreniere. Uh, you know, he's not visible whatsoever on the ice. If you watch the highlights or even watch any Rangers game, he's trying to make a physical presence or at least a presence on the ice. And, you know, he's just off to a slow start. And I think that's just because he's adjusting to the NHL. And what people said last year about Hughes and Kako could be really uh, what we say about Lafreniere this year in that, you know, he we aren't seeing him be or live up to the number one overall hype that we're used to seeing, right? You know, Hughes is finally making his mark this season, uh, you know, and I think that uh, as the season goes along, Lafreniere will see more of him, uh, hopefully, on the score sheet. Yeah, I hope, he, I hope he starts to gain confidence and look good in the NHL. But one thing, I, I was on Instagram and there was a post about Lafreniere, and I, I was looking at the comments and one guy said, you know, maybe the Rangers should have let him go and play for Team Canada because he looked so great in the tournament last year when they uh, won gold. I think maybe it would have been great for his confidence to go and get that, you know, real game experience before he stepped into the NHL. But now, you know, with this slow start, we're seeing a, a lack of confidence. And I don't know if that's, you know, just personally with him. I believe he's a great talent. I saw it with my own eyes uh, when when he, you know, was on that team Canada team uh I don't know if it's him or maybe it's maybe it's the Rangers as a whole Capo Caco was also highly touted and he looked great in his world junior performance as well and he came in and looked pretty invisible and he's not doing too much in his second year either so maybe it's you know the Rangers are just you know killing these rookies and I think David Quinn their head coach he doesn't favor favor rookies too much you know Capo Caco got lost in the lineup last year but, you know, Lafreniere, he's getting these opportunities. He's getting first-line time. So it's going to be interesting, and hopefully sooner rather than later he can start to hit his stride. And he's playing with Zabinijad, who had a lights-out season last year. And like you mentioned, we're just hoping that he hits his stride rather sooner than later. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think this Rangers team, uh, you know, they they had a they had a mediocre first half of the season and then they really turned it on in the second half, um, you know, due to Zabinajad and Panarin both having great seasons. So I feel like that team is super oriented around their top guys and it is tough for these young players to, you know, crack their way in. But 
you know, with Lafreniere, I think the talent's there. It's just, you know, the chemistry and confidence has got to go up before we really see him make an impact. One thing that I do want to bring up before we get to our predictions is that is the uh, Pegcast Twitter account uh, was just tagged in uh, a tweet by Zach Hogan about an hour ago, and he uh, released his power rankings for the North Division. He has uh, the Canadians at one, Leafs at two, Flames at three, Jets at four, Oilers at five, Senators at six, and Canucks at seven. I got to say, you know, as a Habs fan, I, you know, I'm pretty sure anyone can agree that, you know, with Montreal not losing a game in regulation yet, uh, they are the team to beat. They are the team to beat. They're looking so confident, uh, you know, five on five. They're capitalizing on the opponent's turnovers. They're capitalizing on the majority of their power plays, uh, you know, with the Leafs being at two. I also agree with that. I think Montreal and Toronto could really be the teams to beat. Uh, in that North division, we have the Flames at three, which I think is fair to say, uh, you know, they're kind of getting a lack of offense, in my opinion. Uh, you know, they, I didn't really see too much out of them, uh, you know, in the Flames and Leafs game yesterday on Sunday. Uh, the Jets are at four. Uh, I think that's fair to say. I think we could see them drop a bit because of them not having Pierre-Luc Dubois, or maybe they can rise. Who knows? That's just how wild this division is. Uh, number five, we have the Oilers. And, you know, I, I think that uh, the Oilers at five can be interchangeable with the Jets and Flames. I can definitely see the Oilers squeezing into the playoffs there, maybe at the bottom of the spots. Senators and Canucks are also interchangeable. Senators at six and Canucks at seven. Uh, Nolan, I want to get your thoughts on his power rankings. No, I, I, I agree with his power rankings to a certain extent. I believe, like, you know, even though we're only a few games into the season, I think we've been given enough to really know what these teams are going to bring to the table night in and night out. And I think that there's three sort of tiers within this North Division. I think in the first tier, you have the Leafs and the Canadians. I think it's a, it's a two-team race, you know, for that first spot. I think uh, the Canadians and the Leafs just look like the two best teams in the division thus far. And the Canadians, you know, they, they always had Carey Price through the last couple seasons, but since the Pacioretty, you know, era of the team, they had, you know, lack of depth on both offense and defense, and they've slowly addressed that within the last two seasons, and it's coming to fruition with this team playing very solid, um, Leafs as well in that first tier, and then I think the second tier is the Flames, Jets, and Oilers. I feel like anywhere he could have had those teams, I would have, you know, not had much to argue with, um, and then I think the bottom tier of the North Division is the Canucks and the Senators this season, so not much to argue with there, but I do think that you know, it's it's those three tiers, and just within those, things could change. Time for our predictions. Uh, we have a boatload of games on tap for January 26th. Last week, I went three and four. Three wins, four losses, unfortunately. Um, so, you know, let's just start off. Uh, I have Boston winning over Pittsburgh. Sabres winning over the Rangers. The Flyers winning over the Devils. The Capitals winning over the Islanders. The Panthers over the Blue Jackets. The Blackhawks surprising over the Predators. The Jets over the Oilers. The Wild over the Kings. The Stars over the Red Wings. The Golden Knights over the Blues. Leafs over the Flames. Avalanche over Sharks. And Ducks over Coyotes. All right, I'll, I'll get into my predictions. I'm, I'm not too sure. I The reason I'm not saying my record last week is because, like you, I, I know I didn't do too great on the predictions. Um, you know, I'll, I'll, 
I'll just start it off with the Penguins Bruins. I'll take the Penguins in that game. I think they've been playing better than I expected them so far. And the Bruins still without Pasternak. Uh, they've been playing okay as well, but I think the Penguins will take that. Um, I'll, I'll go with the, I'll go with the Blue Jackets over the Panthers, you know, even though they're missing, uh, you know, line, he's still to come in. I think they have a solid defensive system and I feel like the Panthers, um, they, they rely on offense to win games. Uh, I'll, I'll go with the, I'll go with the Devils over the Flyers. I think they're playing very solid and the Flyers have been a little shaky. They, the Flyers in every game, they've either been amazing or terrible. Um, I'll go with the Rangers or I'll go with the Sabres over the Rangers. I'll, I'll go with the Wild over the Kings. Um, I'll go with the Islanders over the Capitals. I think, you know, Barry Trotz is going to know how to expose this team when they're missing those four players. Uh, it'll be interesting to see him against his former team. I'll go with the Predators over the Blackhawks. I'll go with the Oilers over the Jets. Um, I think they won last night, and they'll capitalize on that. I'll go with the Stars over the Red Wings. I think that's the easiest pick. Maybe Stars will look good. Red Wings have not. With the Flames over the Leafs, I think they split their two-game set. Um, I think the Flames, you know, can play a better game than they did yesterday. Like you said, there wasn't much offense going for them. Uh, I'll go with the Coyotes over the Ducks, the Avalanche over the Sharks, and the Golden Knights over the Blues. So we'll see how I do next week, but I, I'm feeling good about these predictions. Well, I'd like to thank again Nolan Thode for joining me on the second episode of Down to the Wire. No, it's always a pleasure. Thanks for having me again.